0: Hey everybody, how is it going? It is Friday, January 9th? 8th, January 8th, Friday, January 8th Let me start that over Hey everybody, how's it going? It is Friday, January 8th, 2021 Wild, right? Uh, First episode of What's Up with Danny of the Year Uh, Very exciting, season 3 Right? Yeah, season 3 Can you believe it? um crazy. Yeah, I bet we're all excited to have 2020 past us, uh even though 2021 basically is the exact same. I mean, come on, like much has changed really? What were you thinking? Uh Yeah, hope y'all are having a good day. I'm having a great day. I just got out of work and I have the next 2 days off. So how about that? Um Yeah, good shit. Anyways, let's talk about the episode. Today's episode, uh the first one of 2021 is with my old pal, Scott Nelson. I mean old in the sense that I've known him for a long time, not that he's old. I don't actually know how old he is, but he's not old by any means. Uh, Most might say he's young. I I guess maybe like a three-year-old might say he's old, but three-year-olds don't have any capacity of what time is, so fuck them. They're stupid. Uh, (laughs) Yikes. Um... Yeah, today's episode was very fun. I hadn't talked to Scott in a while. It was really nice to get together with him via Zoom and talk a little bit, catch up. Uh, We talk about his progression in music, what he's been up to. We kind of start the episode off a little politically, so if you're not into politics or don't want to hear two uh, people talk about politics right now, given... What, however, you feel about them, maybe maybe skip ahead like twenty minutes and uh, don't listen to it, just because you probably don't want to. Uh, but yeah, after after we talk politics and what the recent events and what's happened this week, uh, we yeah we talk about the progression of his life and music. Um, what it was like to be in his first band and some of the things they did and what that did for him uh, in his future musical endeavors. Uh, We talk a little bit about Tiger Tiger, Secret Grief, um, and the progression of that band, the rise and fall and uh, plateau might be a good word for what its current state is. Uh, We talk a little bit about the future of Secret Grief as well as the future of Scott Nelson and what he is doing currently in his life. Um, really fun episode. Like I said, I love Scott. It's great to talk to him. We also talk a little bit about touring, uh, what his experiences touring with Secret Grief, what my experiences touring with Secret Grief were like too. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Secret Grief, Tiger Tiger, Secret Grief, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they brought me out on some of the first tours I ever went on, and I will always thank them for that because it was a great experience, and I learned a lot and had a lot of really good times with them, so I'll always appreciate them for that. Um, email shows at gmail.com with any comments, questions, suggestions, concerns. Uh, maybe you want to... Tell me about something you're selling on eBay. Maybe you have a recipe that you want to send my way or want me to send someone else's way. Maybe you want to give me your credit card number. All of those things will be accepted via email. Uh, Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you listen on Spotify, Apple Podcast, whatever the Google equivalent to Apple Podcast is, Stitcher. Um, uh, god, there's so many, I can't even list them all. I, it's probably not great that I don't know all the stream sites off the top of my head that you can find this podcast on, but I'm working on it. Um, yeah, make sure you can, if you can, you know, share it with some friends, share this episode on your social media outlets. Uh, yeah, anyhow, anything is helpful uh, to spread the word about the podcast. i uh, are going to be recording a few episodes in the next couple weeks hoping we're going we're shooting for 50 apps this year apps, apps is short for episodes i feel a little douchey after having abbreviated such a word that doesn't really need to be abbreviated but um yeah we're shooting for at least 50 this year so i'm excited for that i hope hopefully we can release that sort of that amount of content for everybody that likes to listen to this podcast um nothing to really promote on my end it's still a pandemic so i my bands have done nothing uh but listen to hexing listen to tim tim is a band dot bandcamp uh, hexingmi dot bandcamp you can find us on spotify twitter facebook instagram uh oh, probably more uh find us on pokemon go uh wherever you are on the internet we're probably there too um and listen to secret grief and uh Check out the links in the info. You can I have uh, Secret Griefs Bandcamp in there. Some of Scott's social media that you can follow Scott uh, if you find what he has to say, uh, you know, interesting enough to follow him on social media. It's right there for you. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna quit babbling and I'll let you get to the episode. Enjoy today's episode. With- thank you for doing this first off yeah it's great to see you yeah I sometimes struggle with doing this because I feel like sometimes I don't talk to people for a very long time and then when I reach out to them I'm like hey do you want to record an episode and I feel like it just looks bad you know what I mean like
1: yeah like you're using us like like hey I don't want to talk to you unless it's for my
0: my podcast (laughs) which is it's it's like not my intention at all because I am, I've been looking forward to this uh, this like little Zoom meeting for a while now, since we kind yeah. of talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But also like, I just have inspiring friends that I think have cool stories and I, I want them to share them with people too. So, but I sometimes get in my own head about that. And uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's easy to get in your own head, but I take no offense.
0: So <laughs> we can uh, we can There's- squash that. <laughs> Oh yeah, cool. All right. Well, I'm glad that I opened up with that because I was I was going to be thinking about it the whole time. Uh, yeah. Well, I think I was debating on whether or not I wanted to start out with this, but I think just given the time and it's important, maybe it's not necessarily important that two uh, white dudes are talking about it. But given everything that happened yesterday, uh, what are your thoughts on what happened yesterday? Yeah. <laughs>
1: well it's hmm, what do i want to say on public record
0: (laughs) yeah it's a little heavy right away we don't have to talk about it but i no,
1: it's 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 fine i mean i am not surprised it happened and people acting surprised are foolish in my eyes I think that um, I don't know. I I I have. I I think it is simultaneously uh, troubling, but also pretty funny. Like, not you know, you have to sort of step back to find the the funniness of it. But like, it's just. You know these these people are outraged over what, like Trump not winning a second term, like mm-hmm. some misdirected anger at some entity that doesn't even exist, other than the abstract. Um, so, I yeah I don't know I I, I feel frustration at uh, certain political people uh, who I think didn't take Trump seriously enough Mm -hmm. and who I think uh, if it wasn't for the outward display have actually similar feelings to the, um, we'll call them protesters, whatever the hell you want to call them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there are a lot of uh, leftists different than sort of American left-wing people who who saw this type of thing coming. And uh, there's a lot of mainstream pundits and people who I think aided this feeling by sort of left-punching for years at this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm simultaneously uh, upset about what happened from the event itself and also the seemingly way we could have avoided it if politics looked a little different in this country right i don't know that was a long long answer but i don't know how do you feel about it
0: i well here's the thing right i worked you know a good chunk of the day yesterday and so i didn't i didn't get home until you know about 3:34 o'clock and it was already happening at that, at that time. So I'm kind of, you know, looking at social media and seeing what's going on. And um, i very similar to not surprised. I think if you kind of, if you were surprised by what happened, that seems a little silly to me, just given, I mean, it's, to me, it seems like if you watch any of the rallies or, I mean, there was one in Muskegon that I watched Mm -hmm. online and, you know, he knows how to play his crowd. He knows how to put these thoughts and ideas in their head. And so this idea that these people who are pro-Trump supporters aren't like or aren't taken seriously when they say they're gonna do things is it seems crazy to me. Like I, I wasn't really surprised, I was still kind of shocked. I mean, it's it's insane to think that they can storm the Capitol building like that and not be, you know. Taken, taken away from there, or stopped. You know what I mean? Like that's shocking to me, but it's not surprising. I think given the last, how the last four or five years have gone, it's it's pretty hard to even shock or surprise people. Really. You know, like yeah. But I, I think a lot of different people played a part in that happening, and I think like I, I you can tell that people aren't going to really own up to it. There, there's going to be a lot of blame that gets shifted around. And I think the idea that something like this could even happen again, you know what I mean? Like what's to say it won't, you know?
1: Yeah, I I fully agree that this is not the end of these types of events. Um, Maybe it can be, but I just don't have faith in the elected politicians to actually do anything of substance to squash this type of feeling.
0: It's the idea that we had an election. I've only voted in three elections in my lifetime, but I never once, even when it was the, the person I voted for lost. I never once was like doubtful or, you know, like didn't believe in the system. I mean you you cannot believe in the system and believe in the system at the same time, I guess. But still like what what's to say this won't happen four years again from now, again, where the candidate that people want to win doesn't win and now suddenly the election's not legitimate or there's there people poking holes and finding reasons not to believe in our democracy you know like that i that that worries me a little bit more like this is a a path to where we're just in every election if our candidate doesn't win or their candidate doesn't win or whoever it, it immediately becomes fraud or just you know illegal votes or something like that you know like
1: yeah so so my feeling that I've been talking to people about for a while now is that all of these Trump people MAGA people QAnon whatever it seems that they are really good at identifying problems so you you mentioned it before you can sort of believe the the system is or the election is like not legit, but also kind of legit. Mm -hmm. That's sort of what I think, like, elections are bullshit, but not for the reasons that the Trump crowd has identified. Mm -hmm. And it's the same way with a lot of their other views. Uh, Mainstream media is bullshit, but not for the reasons that, you know, MAGA people think it is. There's nepotism and insider business and all sorts of things with politics um but it's not just democrats right it's it's across the board so so it's a this this was like a classic trope about conspiracy theorists was that they like correctly identify some problem but then they like ascribe it to fucking lizard people or something (laughs) so it's 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 interesting because you know, the frustration is real, whether or not it's valid is, or in the right place is, is a better question. But on the surface, you know, you have to recognize that there are a lot of people in the country of all stripes who are not happy with things going on right now. But the problem is there's such a narrow window of accepted political discourse and accepted political actions that sort of feeds into that frustration on all sides. Um, so yeah, it's it's I mean, I think it's worrisome now in that we don't want these type of events to keep going, but i I don't have a a great answer at the moment, but maybe
0: maybe in the future I will, but right. I think a lot of people could say that same thing, like, what what even is the answer at this point? Where We can see that the things that are happening aren't really working, and points that are trying to get across aren't. I, I think whatever point that was trying to get across yesterday, you depending on who you ask, I guess, some might say it worked, some might say it didn't, but uh, it's not going to change anything or really help anything in the long run if everybody's just resorting to storming the building and and you know waving their flags threatening and, and it just it doesn't seem like the right way to go.
1: Yeah, I mean in some cases I think that that, that method could work but you know when the when the reason for doing it is like so bad <laughs> like I, it, it's like step back and reflect and think about why you're upset you know I mean that's sort of my my advice to everyone like you know
0: yeah well you do can, some self-reflecting you can you can definitely make arguments for other cases in which things like this were to happen and in certain regards you know they're happening because innocent people are being killed for no reason and that is to me i mean granted you everyone could make their own argument but that seems like a far more legitimate reason to do something in that way than if you're if your person lost an election you know
1: yeah for sure it's it's i don't know everything is weird the world is weird i you know i was reading (laughs) I'm gonna get my nerd on here, I guess. But uh, there's this philosopher of science named Thomas Kuhn, who's pretty, I would say, very famous for philosophy of science. But um, you know, he he talks about uh, revolutions in science, and uh, you might wonder where am I taking this. But one of his one of his points is that you sort of have these two different ideologies opposing each other in, I mean, this is in science, but let's just say this in general. And the reality is that both, both groups might look at the same world, like look at the same, have, get the same perceptual input, but because of their beliefs, they, they interpret it in drastically different ways. So, you know, I, I think in fact, there's a lot of that that goes on that isn't directly addressed in the fact that, you know, some people are outraged and say like, oh, how can person X look at this happen and think why?" But for them, it, it totally makes sense in sort of their, the perception they have of the world. Like they literally are looking at a different world than everyone else. So the real question is, how do you change someone's like perception of the world? because it's not enough to just say you're wrong because you know someone tells me i'm wrong you know maybe i'll take that into account but most of the time i'll just find justification for why they're wrong that they think that i'm wrong Mm. and it isn't until like lots of reflection and further thought that you might change your views um so I don't know. There's, you know, I've seen a lot of posts in the past day that are like, you know, if you're following me and you still support Trump, like fuck off forever. And I can swear on this, right? I think that's yeah, well, the second yeah, time I've done that. Yeah, you can. I um, yeah, uh, I've gotten in trouble doing radio stuff in the past. <laughs> uh, so. So I I just wanted to make sure I thought that was the case, but, um, yeah, but, but, you know, all these people who are just like, you know, screw off if you support Trump. And I, you know, I, I recognize that and I feel mostly the same way, but I also think there's, you know, a chance to say you were, you supported something very wrong and very bad. But if you recognize that, and you want to change, and you accept that, I think that, you know, it's not a life sentence to have supported Trump, in my eyes. Right. I think that in order to really um, bridge some divides, you have to accept that not everyone is perfect from the Mm get-go, and that they might, you know, might actually be good deep down but it takes some sort of you know reshaping their perception of the world as i was just talking about
0: yeah i've mentioned it before but i I need to google what the i need a i know joe rogan isn't the most popular person in the world to some people and people that listen to this don't like him either i've heard (laughs) from them about that but i need to get myself like a jamie that he has the guy that he has that google's real fast for him because I there's a guy that I brought up on the podcast before and I can never remember his name and then I think later and I google it but then I bring it up again and I can't ever think of his name but there was a guy who um would befriend people that were part of the KKK and he wouldn't he wouldn't you know distrust them or like call them out on their beliefs he would just befriend them and then over time, those people, he actually got several people to denounce and step out of that organization simply through just being a person to them and just treating them with you know, respect and like they were anybody. And I think there's something really beautiful about that. Like the idea of that, that this person put all this potential anger, like they could have been upset and gotten mad. And I know it's easier said than done sometimes, but to me, like that that there's something really beautiful about just being able to talk to a person and get them to sort of change how they feel just by engaging with them rather than simply writing them off at all. And I think maybe that is the mistake that people make sometimes. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I I do remember hearing about that guy and I, I agree. It it is very tough though. I mean, I'm not, even though, you know, just a second ago I was like, I feel this way, but you know, that's sort of on the macro ideological level, but it's much harder on your sort of individual micro interactions with people to, to do that. Um, so yeah, it it anyone who can do that and do it well, I have lots of respect for, um, because it's, I I don't have the patience. Um, there was something else I was gonna say, you, you triggered another, thought but i i i can't remember now so
0: right on well if it comes back uh feel free to just bring it up whenever uh yeah i'm gonna shift topics here yeah so so if
1: you're fast forwarding through all the previous (laughs) political stuff here's where you should stop
0: (laughs) um now we're gonna probably talk about music for most of this um yeah which is cool, cause I, I actually am really excited to talk about it. Um, cause I feel like we're gonna come up with some good shit here. Um, let's, I, I, what I wanna start out with, uh, because I've known you as a musician, basically the whole time I've known you. Um, and so what I'd like to know is where did that come from? Like why music? Where did that, did that passion sort of be, begin?
1: Okay. That's a good question because overall my family, my parents at least, are not musicians. They don't really do any musical stuff. I think my dad took piano lessons when he was a kid, but that's maybe the extent of it. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I was really into, <laughs> this is gonna definitely pull back the curtain, uh, I was definitely into like boy bands when I was younger. So like, I really liked singing. Mm-hmm. So in in elementary school, I was in like choir a lot and singing. Uh, and that extended, I guess, to like, you know, the popular music of the time, which was like In Sync and uh, Backstreet Boys and LFO even. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so I just liked singing and, Um, you know, eventually I grew out of that and I guess I like, I guess I also, my parents did play a lot of music in the house growing up. So one of my earliest memories is, uh, listening to CDs, uh, two albums in particular, one was Cosmic Thing by B-52s, uh, and... Actually, three albums. So, Cosmic Thing by B 52s D Rear Cracked Rearview Mirror. I think that's the name of the album by Hootie and the Blowfish, and Four by Blues Traveler. And I used to grab a a whisk, like you know those uh, flat like whisks that are flat at the bottom. I guess it was one like that, and I would play it like a saxophone during some of these songs. I I think some had saxophones in it. I don't remember. So I guess there was that. Um, and then, I don't know, I just got into, like, rock music in middle school. Uh, punk, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Found out about the Ramones somehow, I think, which is a dorky kid from the suburbs. You know, that's about the mo- the edgiest you'll get. And then um, Nirvana, obviously. I mean, those are, yeah, I, I feel like if you're going to be a... Suburban kid with no cool older brother friends. Uh, That's the extent of the edginess. Um, But my friend, Tom, who I met, I think in fifth grade, fourth grade, uh, his family was musicians. His dad played guitar. He had an older sister who played guitar and was in a band. And so we decided to start a band in fifth grade (laughs) now. It was not a real band or good by any means. Um, But we, uh, our other friend Wes joined who played the drums. Uh, He had, his uncle was the original drummer of Suicide Machines or something. So he had some music background in his family. And we actually, You know, we started sometime in middle school. Oh, there was another guy at the start, uh, our friend Sean. His older brother was in a band with my friend Tom's older sister. So, you know, naturally we're just continuing on to the next generation. (laughs) I guess it'd be same generation if we're talking about that. But um, yeah, so really early on, uh, I was in my first band. Originally I was just the singer which is hilarious. There's a video of us playing a middle school dance in maybe seventh grade. Nice. And I, I think we covered um, The Middle by Jimmy Eat World and Last Night by The Strokes. Nice. And there was this Oreos commercial at the time. <laughs> And we covered that as well. It was like, I'm squeezed in the middles. I cannot believe I still remember these words. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I guess it was just because of my friend Tom that I was in a band, in a, in a band so early. Um, but we played together until um, we were freshmen in college. Oh, wow. um, so all of high school and then some um that was the first band I did any touring with uh, that was the first band I went to like a real recording studio with um so it happened at sort of an early age um you know I was 17 going to Chicago for like a full weekend to record sleeping in the studio's floor um so yeah, that, that is sort of how I got involved as a musician. Um, I mean, I also played uh, bassoon in middle school
0: band. Um, nice. That isn't one that you hear often. No, it's not. I,
1: I'm actually yeah. a little upset that I didn't continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the band director at my high school told me that if I didn't do marching band, that he didn't want me to do concert band which is like a little fucked <laughs> in retrospect that this guy was like, if you don't do this, you're not gonna do that. But the reason I didn't do marching band is because I also played hockey all growing up and we had yeah. games on the same nights. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm not gonna do marching band, but I wanna do concert band. Like you can't even play the fucking bassoon in
0: marching band. So this guy was just, you know, on a power trip or something. Yeah, yeah, you. that's, I. I you always hear stories about teachers encouraging but you never hear about them discouraging so that's I, I actually kind of appreciate that in a weird way that like there's some teacher out there that's just telling kids not to do things like that they want to do I think that's interesting um
1: yeah.
0: what I do have a question with with being 17 and in a, like going to Chicago and recording and doing like a real project and everything was there ever like a weird sense that you got like 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 when you're younger and in a band, you think it's way cooler than when you grow up and be in a band, like, you know what I mean? Like, was, what what was that sort of feeling like to be 17 and in Chicago, like, did you feel really cool about it? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it seems like I a mean, weird question, but. No, I, I get what you mean.
1: Yeah, you, you do get this sort of overinflated self of sense. I mean, here's the thing, at that time, So I was very fortunate as a high schooler because Nate DeRoe, who started Fusion Shows and now works for Audio Tree, Mm -hmm. he was from the town over from me and he started throwing local shows basically every weekend in the towns around where I grew up. So the Livingston County scene. Mm -hmm. And I basically went to every single one of those. I played at many of them. And the reason we got to go to Chicago to record was because he did a regional, regional, I don't know if that's the right term, countywide Battle of the Bands Mm. that we won when we were uh, seniors in high school. Mm. And basically the first prize was, you know, this budget to go record uh, in Chicago with uh, this guy named Mark Mahalik, who is my friend now but at the time it was like whoa Mark Mahalik uh he's he recorded the first few Swellers albums Oh, right on um and like every cool band from Flint recorded with him um his uh his ex-wife ran a cool record label um he played in cool bands like Kid Brother Collective and Occasionally empty orchestra. So, yeah, as 17 year olds, we were like, whoa. (laughs) Um, But then, you know, there's the reality check. We, we got out of high school and, um, you know, we did a little bit of touring, but, you know, being able to play in front of like a hundred high school students from the area, is much less different than trying to get, you know, random people to come out in a town you've never heard of. So that was, you know, sort of the first reality check. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up quitting that band because of, you know, dumb 18 year old bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I still look back at that band with like, you know maybe that was my peak
0: and now what now what was the next step from there did you is that where i the only other band that i know you in from besides tiger tiger secret grief is uh i never saw you but i remember hearing about this band i think you were called tips maybe so that was my high school
1: band that was, was, that, tips. was that the yeah. band
0: oh, okay yeah. right on right on yeah, so so that was my my high school band.
1: And then, yeah, I, I left that band and I started Tiger Tiger. Um, so it was, you know, fast turnaround. Mm-hmm. Tiger Tiger was basically me writing songs for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I met this guy, Brian, on the internet and we sort of hit it off. Um, and we started writing songs that were in retrospect, I wouldn't say bad, but not great. <laughs> um, we, we had a lot of ambition, but it didn't sort of, what we wanted to do, we weren't quite at the level of being able to do it mm. at the time, if that makes sense. Like just, uh, and so we we originally got some friends from around the area to play bass and drums. So. Brian and I were both playing guitar and I was singing. And eventually both of those people who were sort of fill-ins came and joined the band full-time. And we started touring. And somehow, um, I, I messaged Thomas Dutton, who was the singer for Give Durden, because he was talking about wanting to record bands and i was like hey i have this band would you would you be interested in recording us and somehow he said yes (laughs) which like at the time i was probably like 19 or 20 and like you know this was one of my favorite bands at the time and we ended up playing with him at max bar and talking a little bit Hmm. um And then we went out to Seattle and recorded uh, It'll Still Be There When You're Ready For It, the Tiger, Tiger full length. Nice. Which was, I think, a little bit more realized version of the original songs we wrote, but still, you know, I look back at that album as the most, like, what the fuck was I doing? (laughs) Not that I think it's bad, but, like, the thing that mostly sticks out is the singing because it's, like, basically if this... I mean, you can see this because we're on video, but anyone listening won't. But basically if this was like my, the top of my range of singing, I was like up, <laughs> way up here, like just yell singing the whole time. It was like really strenuous, both in the studio and live to do so. Um, yeah. Uh, but that that was a, I mean, surreal experience for me to go out to Seattle and record that. Uh, to have literally the singer of my favorite band just walk in, say what's up, and then sing on the album, like no questions asked. Yeah, wow. uh, that was cool.
0: Did you get a lot of feedback from him as a as like a producer? Like, was was he very open and helpful in kind of progressing you guys as musicians, or what? Like, how how did how was working with him overall?
1: Yeah, it was good. I mean, I I think that we were maybe this is just my perpetual thought, but I I still think we are a bit over our heads, but he, you know, he, he showed me a lot of things that, you know, to this day, I still use when writing songs and like, you know, just like chord inversions, different weird chords to throw in, um, you know, just talking about melody and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it was really helpful. Um, to do that, um, especially at a time where you know I I was figuring out my own sort of identity as a musician, yeah. um, you know, seeing these different things as possibilities was like, oh, I can try this, oh, I can try that, mm-hmm. um, which like you know, if if you look at the entire landscape of Tiger, Tiger, and Secret Grief music there there's rarely a unified sound right. um I maybe that's me being too over generous I don't know if you totally agree but you know my my driving principle was always like well we're going to sound whatever we want to sound like at any given time and uh yeah I, I think I did get that from You know, Forgive Durden was the band that Thomas was in. Gatsby's American Dream was my favorite band. And they, you know, they sort of pushed the boundary in my eyes of what like a, uh, I wouldn't say pop punk, but, you know, just sort of some like pop influenced rock band could do when it came to like song structure. Uh, Lyrically, Gatsby's American Dream just screwed me because I... I developed this hatred of the music industry before even really getting involved. Um, but yeah, in, in retrospect, I mean, as someone in their thirties now, like, you know, I I really appreciate all the things that I sort of learned from that experience, whether or not, you know, it made things easier for me down the line. It It did sort of allow me to focus on you know, the art aspect of things, which has always been my, my prime sort of goal, is to be more of an artist and less of an entertainer, which puts you in a bad spot as sort of
0: <laughs> being in a, a band that's trying to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well what, this is, I wanna get back to this, but this made me think of a different question. What, what in your opinion is art? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean,
1: to me, sort of, well, I mean, like, in some sense, anything can be art. Art is just what you create. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a sort of way to show your interpretation of the world, in mm. some sense. Right. Right. And I think that in music, you can make music without interpreting the world in some way, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some music that is just formulaic and adheres to some template. And, you know, that's fine. I like a lot of music that does that. Mm -hmm. Um, But as the one making it, it's, you know, what I want to do is sort of show my interpretation of the world. And if that can sort of be used as, you know, a way to make it, <laughs> I don't know, uh, that's cool. But it's sort of not the the primary objective when creating. Mm-hmm.
0: Right on. Yeah, I definitely think when I was younger, I felt like art was more cut and dry, like it was just, To me, I thought I knew what it was, you know? Like it seemed like it was pretty obvious what was and wasn't art. And then as as I've grown older, I've shifted more to like the, oh, art's just whatever you make it. Yeah, it doesn't have to even be anything. It can be, if it's just whatever you find art is meaningful. You know what I mean? Like to me, it seems silly to even define it really when it could be interpreted in any way, really.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that, I don't know who else is going to listen to this podcast, but I mean, I've, I've definitely got pissed off people before by (laughs) invoking this artist versus entertainer, uh, dichotomy. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with intent. Like if your intent is to make something that people like and spread that with them, you're probably more of an entertainer. And I don't think that anyone is like purely entertainer or purely artist. Like it's, it's definitely a continuum, mm-hmm. um, but I think you can sort of like, you know, get a good idea of people's intentions and where they might lie on that line. Um, and I, 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 like I said, this has pissed people off before and I'm sure people will disagree, but it's just sort of my, my personal view, which has gotten me into
0: a lot of trouble as
1: a musician, but it is what
0: it is right well let's let's fast forward a little bit um tiger tiger you put out the record you recorded in seattle you start playing on that record now i'll tell you the first time i remember seeing tiger tiger um was in muskegon and i forget the name of the building but it was a building in the mi- the middle of uh mcgrath park so it, it was the been- audrey
1: record release show yeah, was yeah. that it
0: Yep, because you guys, I want to say, maybe Good Weather played, Audrey, and- uh, I think
1: Children's Crusade played,
0: too. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. And I remember, uh, like, I had seen you guys, for that was the first time, and I I was very into it, and I think I bought the record there at at the show, Um, and it didn't leave my car for, you know, a couple months after the show. Like, that was what was playing whenever I started my car. now, in that like in that era, when you guys are playing shows around that time with that lineup, were you picking up steam at all? where was did it feel like, oh, this is something that has some some traction to it? I think that
1: I don't remember I I think we ran into some problems after the album came out. Um... With just people not wanting to sort of like fully commit, so it was hard to like tour and play shows, and mm-hmm. um. So I, I I think that that was actually, probably a rough time in, in the band's life cycle. Mm. So maybe like, in fact, I think that was probably right before we stopped playing shows for a while. Wow. Um, which was, you know, at the time, you know, this is my, my baby project, like, you know, writing all these songs, recording it at my like dream location, meeting these people. And so it really, you know, discouraged me when, you know, we sort of just stopped playing shows. Um, you know, we, we didn't play for at least a year and I, I didn't do like anything in that year, like music wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't write any, well, I didn't like pursue anything, I guess. Uh, I didn't play shows, I didn't do much. And then um, I moved to Lansing the next year and uh, was re-inspired. So I started playing solo shows Mm. and then, you know, I had this idea to try and play full band shows. I know this story has been told on your podcast because I listened to Cam's episode, but, (laughs) 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 but um, yeah, so the, the original idea was like, I'm just gonna put this band together for like a weekend of shows just because, you know, I wanna play these songs again and I wanna do this and, you know, I had met Corey through, uh, no, through Nineveh. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Nice. Um, into Audrey and I, you know, we would talk about gear and, you know, I always liked his guitar playing and I was like, Corey, do you want to play lead guitar for these shows? It'll be fun. You know, it'll be whatever. And we were texting, And then it was announced that, you know, Everett was leaving Audrey. And I was like, Hey, Corey, can we just get all of Audrey? It'll be easier that way. I think, uh, then I don't even know who my other prospects were in this live band. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, so they agreed to do it, you know, as sort of like backing band duties and the first practice went really well you know we learned like two or three songs and I drove out to Muskegon I drove to it's it called the pothole was that that house in yeah, Muskegon yeah. Yep. and Sean drove me the rest of the way to Derek's parents house at the barn there where we practiced I don't know if you ever went there um, I, yeah
0: I was there I had been there a couple of times okay yeah,
1: yeah. um and it went really well. And uh, so well that we just sort of merged. And for some reason it was, you know, me merging, them merging into my band instead of me merging into theirs. But um, it was weird because, you know, you asked earlier if we had momentum after the album came out and I was sort of like, yeah, eh, whatever. But oddly, in that year away, there was, like, when we came back, we sort of had this weird, like, reputation as being, like, oh, we got to go see Tiger, Tiger, you know, like, like, oh, man, Tiger, Tiger's back playing shows. And so, you know, once they started playing with us, that was where it was like, whoa, maybe we do have momentum. And, like, you know, I don't know if you remember right away, but. I mean, we we hit the ground hard when they rejoined the band. I mean, we were playing shows, like, all over Michigan mm-hmm. almost every weekend. I think we even did some, like, regional shows in mm-hmm. Illinois and Ohio. And we sort of never looked back for at least, like, a year and a half, maybe two years. Um, and that, you know... there were some ups and downs, but most of that time up through, you know, the release of the Sea of Trees. I mean, it was, it was basically every month was a little bit better than the previous month. Mm. Um, Yeah. Especially with shows. I mean, for how many shows we did play, especially in Michigan, It's incredible how few duds there actually were. Mm -hmm. Duds meaning like, you know, one person awkwardly standing in the back of a big room. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Is that, and I don't know how many other bands that were, you know, local bands at that time, but I know my first uh, band, well, not my first band, but my first band that played around, you know, other than Muskegon, Grand Rapids, we kind of used what you guys were doing as sort of like a model of what we wanted to do. You know, we, we observed what you were doing and noticed like any show in Michigan that I went to that you guys were playing, it was weird that there was this, like it hadn't been something I had really seen in a long time where there was this band that people really liked and knew the words and came out to see them, even if they were just a local band, you know? regardless of whether or not you guys were opening some tour or like, you know, playing somewhere in the show of a local show, like we saw, oh, they're hitting markets in Michigan. They're playing them every few months or so. And they're, you know, that's, that's what we need to do. We need to play, you know, Kalamazoo every three, four months, or we should try to play in Lansing every three, four months. And, uh, and I, it's like I said, I don't know how many other bands around the area were thinking like that, but we, we would sort of piggyback off the ideas that you guys were doing. And I know like even our first tour, when I was routing it, I used it, like some of your guys' tours as sort of a template on how to route what, where we were gonna go and everything like that. Did, did it ever feel like like when you guys would play a show, like say a show at Max Bar or something? Um, and you had that following, did it ever, were you guys ever aware of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you have to
1: sort of be a little clueless not to key in on some of these things. Like, uh, you know, it, it's it's a very weird feeling to be like, in the grand scheme of things, a very small band, but still have people, you know, singing these words at every show. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I attribute a lot of that success really to to Corey and, and Audrey in general, who I think laid that model, the framework of that model better than you know I had before before that. We we're also very lucky, and this is because, you know, like I said, I was around and in local scenes starting at 14, 13. Corey was involved heavily with the Muskegon and West Michigan scene since he was probably a similar age. I don't, I don't know when, I mean, the secret is really just people, you know, (laughs) more than, you know, success, like raw talent. And I, we were aware of that, you know, it may not have shown on the outside, but we were aware that we were sort of getting luck in ways that, Other bands weren't, you know, I, all the time I would, I would tell people like, how are we, how are we getting more people to come see us than the fever haze in this place? Like, how are we getting more people than Hampshire to come see us in this place? Like these were bands that I loved and that I were friends with and that I thought were just phenomenal. And and that part, you know, I couldn't explain it other than just sort of saying like, I don't know, name recognition and I was sort of sassy online a lot which I think brought in some people which I'm not gonna avoid uh I think it turned off a lot of people but it also you know people like internet drama <laughs> right now yeah. I mean they it, it wasn't something that we sort of intentionally manufactured it was just my personality of saying believing things and saying them out loud that probably shouldn't have said out loud sometimes i mean i got i got a screwed once for tweeting that i had a nightmare that i was at you know that band wilson yeah (laughs) i was at a wilson concert and they didn't even do their acdc cover like that was the tweet or something and i just had people yelling at me all day and i had to like I literally apologized to their singer in email because I didn't want to screw over like the rest of the guys in the band. Um, So yeah, it was stuff like that. I mean, some, some people did and probably still do think that I'm a pompous ass, which I might be, but um, yeah, that, that weirdly helped being like sort of mega online before that was a personality type where
0: everyone is sort of mega online now. Do you, do you think that, I mean, what do you think of the, the internet now and how bands use it? And I, uh-huh. I, I think there's like a heart attack man is an example that I use often for a band that I think uses social media in a way that it's somewhat intended. Is it like kind of how like you guys that <coughs> in a way are what you're describing, sort of saying things that are, they're just saying whatever they want and it's going to rub some people the wrong way, but the people that get it are going to love it, you know, like.
1: Yeah, I, I I think that the internet is very stupid. And so people who only use it as like a marketing, like a very polished marketing tool suck like that, you know. If, if you're only using Twitter to like promote things, which uh, then no one will give a shit. I mean, that's not what like social media is good for. Like, if if you just use it that, then you're becoming another brand and everyone fucking hates brands, whether they admit it or not. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Heart Attack Man is pretty good on <laughs> I, I feel like it's like 90% of the stuff is whatever to me. Mm-hmm. 5% is just like this is so stupid. And 5%, I'm like, this is the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, even the 5% that I think is like legitimately bad and stupid, like it doesn't affect me either way. It's like, again, because like you said, you see someone just being themselves and doing what they want. Mm -hmm. And like, you can disagree with that. But at the end of the day, I think most people respect people who are sort of true to their own self and their own vision. Right. Um, And you might piss people off, but those are the people you really don't want to be around anyway, so.
0: Now let's, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the touring because my first real experience ever being out on the road was with you guys. I mean, I had done weekend trips or things like that that were to maybe like Detroit or Chicago or something. But um, you know, my first real venture out to anywhere besides the Midwest was with you guys. and it sort of changed my perspective on what it is really like to be a small band trying to get people out to their shows. Like not every show is gonna be what you want it to be or think it will be, but you still have to make the best out of it. What, what was always kind of your mindset when you were on tour, when you're planning tours? Cause I mean, you guys would try to do something it seemed like every month or every couple months or so where you were getting out there and playing different markets and things like what? What, what was that, what was the plan for that? And then what was sort of the feeling that you got from it?
1: Well, the plan was just to play shows. I mean, it, it, there never was like, at least from my perspective, there never was like a, we got to do this, then we got to do that, and then we'll reach this. It was more like a, well, you know, let's play this area. And our goal was, okay, we did always have this goal. Our goal was this. Play a show in an area for the first time. Mm. If it sucked, meet cool people, come back, talk to those people, play a non crappy show.
0: Mm.
1: You know, Cam talked about this when he was on, but we did have this idea that even in the worst shows, we were going to put our all into the performance. Mm-hmm. Because we did have multiple times where we would play to, you know, a small crowd. But in that small crowd was you know one person, and they were like, "Whoa, you guys are cool!" Like, next time you come back, hit me up, and I'll make sure you have something, something better.
0: Hmm.
1: I mean, that happened. I can speak to a specific example. The show wasn't terrible, so we played in. It wasn't Akron, but it was like, but uh, maybe it was Akron. I don't know. It was, it was a city in north. Northern Ohio that wasn't Akron, but was near Akron. Uh, And one of the guys there lived at the house, it's a cling thing, which is like, you know, the famous famous house of the Midwest, maybe that's still running. Yeah. He's like, hey, next time you come through, like I live at this house, you guys should definitely play here. Uh, It'll be sweet. And in fact, I think you were at the show that we did play there the first time. Yeah. It was on that first tour you did with
0: us. When you mentioned it, I, I was gonna I was gonna wait for you to say what you were gonna say. And then I was planning on bringing up how that, I've only ever been there once, but that house was really special to me because yeah. that I remember seeing uh, Runaway Brother for the first time at that show. And then there was this band that I just happened to be really into at the time. Hell yeah. <laughs> right. So I, uh, I pull, I'm wearing,
1: runaway brother shirt which I remembered when I put it on I didn't even do this intentionally uh you and I both got this shirt for free from them they were like do you guys want any shirts and somehow you and I were the two that ended up with
0: shirts yeah yeah I was thinking I have that same shirt when you pulled it up I was like yeah. oh yeah nice I forgot about that yeah uh, but yeah it was just a really cool show and I loved the venue itself and hearing some stories from people that about bands that had played there just that, that was a really cool moment for me. I haven't been back since, but I, I always remember that house and uh, just, the, just how fun it was. And it made me really respect, like I, I, I've only ever played or been to Ohio maybe six or seven times over the course of 10 years that I've been playing. But every, there's something about Ohio where it just seems like there's not a bad band that plays in Ohio you know what I mean like maybe you might have had different experiences if you played out there more but like I you know I've seen bands like my mouth is the speaker narrow arrow um uh things fall apart like just bands like that where I would have never even listened to them and then I see them in in Ohio at a show and I think oh wow I that to me I don't think there's a better music scene than in Michigan but if there was a thing i would pick it'd probably be ohio honestly maybe pennsylvania too but still
1: yeah yeah i i i I mostly agree i mean every especially cleveland area show we've played is just like you know every show has had just like incredible bands you know i played with heart attack we played with heart attack man Mm -hmm. before they had even released like their first seven inch like, we're like, whoa, this band rules. <laughs> like this band is so cool. Uh, you know, the sidekicks are from Ohio. In fact, so I did this, I guess, acoustic tour once and I played in Columbus and uh, Things Fall Apart played, but they're like, hey, our friends are gonna play this show. They only play a show like every couple years. Like, okay, whatever, cool and they played and it was like fucking incredible it was like one of the best shows i've ever seen in my life uh cam and i were there and we we still like will bring it up be like dude do you remember that band battleships <laughs> and uh yeah so i agree there's a lot of great bands in ohio um i mean there's there's bad bands everywhere so it's not fair to judge anywhere off the status of their bad bands
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah fair enough yeah no uh I kind of want to ask, because I went on, I want to say it was maybe two tours and then, you know, various weekends here and there with you guys. Um, Did it ever bother you, the amount of weed that was smoked (laughs) on those tours? This is a little silly question, but I I think about it once in a while.
1: It was just annoying because it took up time more than anything. Like, you know, the act itself is whatever. I, I grew to just whatever, you know, these guys or having fun why why stop it was just like you know when I had to sit around and wait around that was the annoying part but the act itself is like whatever man
0: yeah Um, I do I do remember one time I don't I don't remember what the place was but I think we stopped to get food or maybe go to the bathroom and I remember I think you might have been the only one that got out of the van and within seconds, Derek had already opened up his backpack and had everything ready to go. And I remember, I think you came back in the van and saw this cloud of smoke and you, I just remember you saying, God damn it. And you were just upset about it. It seemed like you were upset. And it's it was funny to me from as like an outsider in the van, you know. Um, but yeah, I, that's something I think about sometimes when I think back on those those memories and I'm like, I wonder if we just made Scott mad that whole time we were just smoking I could see I could see what you mean with the the time because I know uh in my bands there's always been one guy that didn't smoke who was a little annoyed about the fact that we were taking up time to do it uh but yeah I just think about that sometimes yeah I the uh I,
1: I know exactly the like cadence and timbre of my voice on saying god damn it. So it, it definitely was like a <laughs> these motherfuckers more than like a, a being upset about it. Um, yeah, I mean they were they were my closest friends at that time and I just, you know, you 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 learn to put up with annoyances from the people that you love. So it yeah, I I mean I thought I was annoying as fuck all the time. So if if they annoyed me a little, whatever you know, I was, I don't know, a weird right. a weird annoying motherfucker. So <laughs> they can they can annoy me from time to time, and I don't care.
0: Now let's talk a little bit about the progression of that lineup because you you know you put out M A O D, uh, some splits, one with the Fever Haze. Um, just a couple of little songs here and there and then sea of trees eventually and now i remember uh, being at the donut hole when you guys were running through uh sea of trees i remember uh that happened and then it seemed like maybe it took a little time for the actual album itself to come out but uh let's talk a little bit about the band itself through that time and how you kind of went from being sort of that lineup to you know you and cam and you know having members kind of fall out or drop off for other things and then or even well actually cross all that out let's go let's talk about the 10 piece stuff first um, what inspired the 10 piece I mean I think I know already what sort of inspired it but what what made you guys want to do that like just have a 10 piece act yeah so
1: you know you told me not to talk about
0: this stuff and it's very hard to just
1: like close pandora's box um the 10 piece so i um yeah let me let me preface this and just say it did take a while to get sea of trees out Mm -hmm. we we hold up at the donut hole for like two weeks and basically wrote the entire record um That was a wild time in my life. Um, Just, you know, uh, dealing with mental stuff. Um, But yeah, that took a while and we ended up, we recorded the drums in Chicago um, with Mark Mahalik, who I, you know, let's go full circle. Um, We recorded the drums in Chicago And then we recorded everything else, except the vocals uh, at Hope College. So Jake Kalmink engineered it all. And I sort of produced in the way that I told people what to do and made sure they played it good. And, you know, I always felt most comfortable being that type of guy, like the producer, rather than anything else, Um, you know, kind of like the director of a movie where you have this grand vision of everything and you gotta get all the pieces together. Um, but yeah, within that time, um, Derek left the band, um, which I think was a bigger blow than any of us would have admitted at the time. I think he brought a lot that we are missing. Um, so we, we put out the album in February, I think, and we had CDs and tape versions. But at the same time we released that, we did a vinyl uh, pre-order, and we waited to have a sort of proper album release until the vinyl was out. And that was the first 10-piece show. Okay. And so in this time, I sort of got really into um, like, electronic influence stuff. And uh, one of the bands I was very into was after who had these big ensembles that they would play with. And so that inspired it. But also, I mean, the album itself, like, you know, we had 10 people playing with us, but for most of the songs, they were playing 10 different parts. So it's not like we just were doubling up on things. We literally had all of these parts. And so in order to fully sort of realize the album live, we had that many people perform with us. Um, so that was the original idea with the 10 piece was just to like play the album as perfectly as possible. Um, and that was a lot of fun. I mean, that first 10 piece show, especially was like uh, maybe my favorite secret grief show we played um, You know, everyone in the band was great. Um, You know, I met Alana through that. I had never met Alana before we did that 10 piece. Mm -hmm. And she ended up, you know, she's like maybe the most incredible singer I've ever met and ever performed with. Um, And she ended up going on a tour with us, which is one of my favorite tours. Uh, and she sang on some songs that actually are getting released this year, I think. Nice. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I, I always have liked these grandiose performances, which sort of doesn't gel with what we're doing touring-wise, you know, playing basements, playing small stages. But in my head, the vision was always of these, like, big, grand performances. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how the 10 piece came about. And then we, we did it again at the end of the year. Um, and this time we brought it to Cleveland as well as Lansing.
0: Yeah, I remember, I don't know, was the, no, I think I was at the album release. Was it at the Pyramid Scheme? Yep. Okay, yeah, I was at that and then I went to, I believe it was The Loft, right? Yep. That you guys did in Lansing. I remember The Loft show, didn't you guys, put a guitar around a minion thing and uh yeah so into a a reverb pedal or something
1: (laughs) I don't know if we plugged it into anything but yeah we so I have this giant minion from Cedar Point that my brother literally we were like walking out and he's like all right let me do this milk jug toss and he like swished I mean you can't swish in milk jug but you know what I mean like didn't hit any of the sides just like right in and the guy's like here's this big minion and he gave it to me (laughs) so yeah uh we ended up our 10th person sort of uh i guess backed out at the last minute so we didn't have time to replace uh so we just played as a nine piece with a minion um i guess that's our fault for billing it as a 10 piece (laughs) you don't get the flexibility if something happens that uh uh but um yeah it, it that was just despite having like a very uh serious subject matter often in the lyrics we were all very like goofy people who joked a lot i mean you saw that sort of behind the scenes yeah so yeah that was just us sort of being funny
0: mm-hmm. nice Yeah, I will, I will say there was something to the way in comparison to other bands that I would go out on tours or like runs with, there was something about the way you guys interacted with each other that was just like, it was on a I'll say it was on a different tier than some of the other bands, like, just how close you were in other bands that I would hang out with or go with there was there was some tension somewhere within and and, you know, there couldn't be a weekend without some kind of tension happening or like just something not going right but with you guys like even even in the moments where people seemed a little discouraged or like down it was still there was something about being around you guys that there was this positive feel it it, like like you could tell you guys loved what you were doing you loved each other and there was there was just something about that just on the the couple runs i went with you guys yeah
1: i i think that that is true from my experience as well. Like we, I mean, other bands joked a lot, but I feel like we just like, yeah, just had like endless inside jokes and like bits. We did a lot of bits. I was, I was actually talking to one of my, my classes about this um, because there's this town, Normal, Illinois, you know, if you heard of that Mm -hmm. and we all, we would pass it driving, you know, I don't know, once every few months and like, Right away we'd be like, oh yeah, norma, norma, normal and normal <laughs> illinois. Like, I don't know. It was just like dumb stuff like that. We were just like, I know everyone has bits and stuff, but like it was shocking at how deep some of some of this lore went for us. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I think also just like truly loving performing, um, regardless of a crowd mm-hmm. was something that that uh set us apart and that's something i mean cam and i continued when the band sort of just became us like Mm -hmm. you know we we became sort of the de facto you know leaders because for a while it was just like you know getting our friends to come tour with us so we'd be like well they would defer to us so if we were sort of being that way i guess it the dream of trickle down things i guess it worked um But yeah, it it um, I'm I'm glad that came off to an outsider too, because I you know, like I said, you, you get annoyed with people a little bit, but if you if you respect them, and you sort of you know take a step back, it it goes away quickly, and you're just like, oh, we're just a bunch of dumb idiots driving around the country. Like there's no there's no need to like be mad at each other. Like um yeah
0: now with later on and se- well let me ask you this is secret grief ever gonna die <laughs> well the short answer is no i mean and i don't mean that and die like in a like in a vindictive way where like i'm praying for it or yeah it, no i i, I
1: get yeah. i think i get your your meaning when you view I think this goes back again to like what you view yourself as a musician or as a band are like, are you, are you sort of an entertainment group that, you know, has to be active to be meaningful? If that's the case, then we're probably dead now. Mm. But if we're just sort of a group that makes music together and sort of creates art, then, you know, but I don't think we'll ever die. It's sort of, you know, even before the band just became me and Cam, Cam and I had like this deep connection on, you know, a music making level. The first songs that we really wrote together because I'm not counting I Salsa Your Face, Hayford, or Can't Believe Myself because at that point, I really had most of the songs written, like even some drum parts fully. So, mm-hmm. so those, I mean, they complemented things really well. They being Corey, Sean, Derek, and Cam. But the first songs we really wrote together together was M A O D, and I remember Cam and I for hours in. Uh, barn at derek's house just like going over these small parts and just like really connecting on what we wanted and how to get things to sound a certain way Mm -hmm. so like from that perspective i want to make music with cam until like literally we're both dead like there's no no desire to break this up like it it's hard right now because, I mean, pandemic aside, I live in New York and he lives in Michigan. So that um, makes it a little harder. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do not think that we'll ever die because of how we view the band as sort of like a, a label for the art that we make together.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, oh, this when you said the word label, it made me think of it. Let's talk about the uh, Purple group for a sec. <laughs> What, did, biggest was that... failure
1: of my life
0: <laughs> now do you look at it like a, it was a failure in the sense that like you look back on it and you in a, in a in a feeling of regret or are you just like are you happy to have at least tried to maybe put out records or like put put out records you were passionate about or of your friends like what I feel
1: you I, I truly feel that I failed my friends more than anything oh, Okay, that's how I feel about it i feel like i could have done so much more for them to help them out Mm -hmm. and i feel like i didn't i mean granted in the long run i just lost a lot of money but i'm not upset about that Mm -hmm. in fact the only thing i'm upset about is that i didn't do more for those bands because i think they deserved it um they're only the only releases that ever sold out involved secret or tiger tiger oh or summer punks so all things that i was involved with so that i felt a lot of guilt for that Mm. maybe unnecessarily but i was like i didn't have the smarts or wherewithal to like figure out how to help these other bands sell more and do more and be be better like not be better they were great to just you know to to reach, to have the same reach that my own projects had.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I never really would have thought about it in that perspective, but that does make sense to me that there'd be that sense of guilt. Do you think there was a sense of guilt just because you felt like you could have done more or you were you felt like, did you ever maybe feel bad about your band's success? I know that seems like... A- no, it was,
1: it was never the, you know, that part is just unfortunate i think but but it really was just like how do i do more for these people who have trusted me with their art Mm. um and i you know some of it might have because i think most people knew triple deke through secret grief Mm. so for a band like the fever haze you know there's there's some overlap locally with sort of the the people who like both bands but it's harder non-locally to, to convince people that these are sort of coming from the same label, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand. Which is unfortunate because the Fever Haze is the best band that ever existed ever. I, I literally
1: have a Fever Haze tattoo. I don't know how many people know that, but yeah, <laughs> I, I agree completely. I, it, I, I saw a lot of their frustration firsthand too because we, um, we did a tour with them but I mean, like we booked all the shows. So again, it was all Secret Grief shows that the Fever Hayes placed and like played. And, you know, unfortunately there, there's some overlap, but not a ton of people who realize that they're watching the greatest band in the world. Um, that happens to just be, you know, this guitar rock, like pure guitar rock band and not I don't know whatever the fuck you want to call secret grief, yeah, emo,
0: um, I guess. Yeah, post rock. I, I think you could make conclusions on really any genre, <laughs> depending on the era, maybe.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So what what is the overall goal and plan now with Secret Grief? Like, I, I remember seeing a post a while back that you had made about some unreleased songs and putting that out sometime this year Um, is there like do you think you want to play shows again or is it purely just about putting out the art that you want to create
1: I mean shows are very low priority Mm -hmm. pandemic aside Mm -hmm. Um, so the unreleased songs are the ones I mentioned earlier that Alana sings on so we recorded these were the first things we did after Sea of Trees I mean these were recorded like five years ago which wow. is, that's okay, because there's a Tiger Tiger release, two songs that have never been released despite being recorded like, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago at this point. Wow. Um, I'm very bad at releasing things, in fact. <laughs> um, so those, the plan is to release those sometime this year. They're very positive. Um, lyrically and Tyler Floyd who's sort of you know I would call him a band member but we're just sort of like you know I don't know for his sake just leaving the band me and Cam um maybe for historical reasons more than anything else um he's like if anyone heard this song is the first secret grief song and then listen to anything else they'd be like what is going on? Um, but they have a lot of synthesizers. They have uh trumpet, trombone, tuba, saxophone, clarinet, cello, uh, Alana sings on them, a lot of hand percussion. So they're, you know, uh sort of in the direction of where we went with the seasonal stuff, but even more so, I would say. Um They're some of my favorite things we've done. Um, so I, you know, I have no idea what's gonna happen. We're pretty much just gonna put them online and people will listen or they won't, but it'll it'll be nice to, you know, share them with some people who have liked what we've done in the past.
0: Um,
1: and then we're also uh re-releasing the seasonal EPs as a single like album i guess so they're all going to be re uh remixed and remastered right on um and then you know we've talked about doing another album it's just hard i mean we had a lot of projects going and then you know cam and i lived together for a few years and probably didn't do as much as we should have from living together it was just you know, I was busy with school and would come home and just be exhausted and he would come home from work and it's just, you know, hard to facilitate creativity in that time period. I was also, you know, really getting into synths. So it's it's harder to just organically come up with something when you're like writing electronic music, I guess, at least the type that we wanted to write. Right. I mean, it's it's fairly it's fairly easy to make a loop with a synth and mess with that, but, you know, to come up with a full song structure of the type of songs we wanted to write, it takes a little more effort, and um, yeah, we just squandered the opportunity, I guess, but um, I mean, we have have demos of, we have probably 10 to 20 demos of song ideas and song parts but I don't know if they'll ever see any light of day yeah
0: yeah, now let's I want to talk a little bit and this is more so for me just because I haven't talked to you in a while uh yeah what's some of the stuff that you're doing right now outside of music like in and during a pandemic I guess I know you're 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 we were talking earlier you're kind of off from school right now but what was sort of the stuff you have going on in your own life?
1: Well, currently I'm in a PhD program for linguistics, um, so that takes up most of my time, um, either doing research, doing my own classwork, or teaching of some kind. Uh, and I haven't been doing a lot of like full music programs. I I do a lot of small things, but I was just talking to Cam about this and how like you know I haven't recorded a full track in. A couple years and how hard it is for me to now do it because above anything else I lost the patience that it requires to like make a full track right because I'll just get frustrated because I can't get things to sound how I want and I just give up I guess um so I'm the the music that I'm working on now the only like concrete thing and this is barely concrete, like, (laughs) is I'm recording an all-electronic version of some John K. Sampson covers. Uh, John K. Sampson is the singer of The Weaker Thans, who has some solo records now. So I'm uh, I'm doing that. (laughs) Uh, I am doing some, like, soundscape stuff, but that's just sort of my own pet project, not something that I really want to share with the world um yeah so I I actually have been playing more guitar lately too I've been learning some Owen songs trying to remember how to finger pick uh but yeah I'm not in a rush to be like a a public musician Mm. right now I I just you know do things for the enjoyment of hearing vibrations in the air that's Yeah. Um, so I, my PhD program is in linguistics and I actually study a lot of sound related things. So, um, you know, when I, when I do phonetics, there's a, there's a big connection between my music life and my Mm -hmm. academic life. Um,
0: is that intentional or does it just sort of happen that way?
1: You know, when I was in undergrad, so, I mean, I did undergrad as a, mid 20-something, late 20-something. But my first linguistics class was phonetics. And what you learn is that the way we model vowel sounds, so like the different vowels we have is like the, it's the, sorry, I I heard a little noise in the background and I think I realized it was me putting something on my desk. but. Uh, the way that we model vowel sounds is literally the exact same thing as like subtractive synthesis. And so in in that moment, I was like, I'm obsessed with synths right now. This is just like synthesizers, like this is cool. I'm going to pursue this some more. And so that, I mean, I also do like stuff related to theoretical, like cognitive stuff. So that's much more removed from the like physical sounds, Mm -hmm. like studying sound systems in languages. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was driven to the sound aspect of things because of my musician background for sure.
0: Right on. That's pretty amazing that you could find that sort of similarity in the, in those two things, you know, like, I think that's really cool. You don't, I, I don't hear enough about like people finding like some sort of interest out of another interest or a similar like interests. I think that's very cool. Um, What's the what's the long run? Like what's what's your goal with getting this degree and everything? What would you like to see happen? Um, I'm hoping to just stay in academia and be like a research professor.
1: Mm. So yeah the outside of that I mean my options are sort of like go work for Google or Amazon or Facebook and I just not that universities are much better, to be honest, but I just have no desire to sort of work in that industry. Um, so we'll see. It's it's not a great time to be an academic. Pretty much in all fields, the job market is very minimal. So we'll see. I uh, But I love it. And even though it takes up a lot of time, it's, it's enjoyable most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I I basically learn something new every day, which is cool, but also makes you realize how little that you actually do know. So, uh,
0: yeah, I I think, I think we're coming up on about two hours. So I'm gonna do a little bit of a lightning round and then I'll ask the closer and then we're going to call it here. Uh, Lightning rounds always end up being way longer than they need to be. But I'm going to try and ask simple questions. What's your, what's your favorite song that you've ever written? Uh, I know this is lightning, but
1: (laughs) I would say it's a tie between go and winter wellness. Hmm. I can't, I can't pick one or the other. Right on any reason why? Um, winter wellness is the most me I've ever expressed, Hmm. basically a love letter to winter and cold weather. Um, and I just really like how it came together. Uh, Fun story, just, I know this is supposed to be a lightning round. Before writing Winter Wellness, Cam and I got in maybe our only argument of all time in making music, and he was right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I've ever said that to him, but um, I was just trying to do something way too complicated and stupid, and from there, we just, like, simplified things, and Tyler... Floyd was there writing with us, and he and I sort of played these melodies, him on guitar, me on piano, and it was like perfect. And somehow we turned it into my favorite song. Mm -hmm. And then Go, I think is lyrically and sort of sonically is just like close to Winter Wellness and just sort of like capturing my my purest self.
0: Nice. What's the first thing you're going to do post-pandemic?
1: I have no idea. I haven't even really (laughs) thought about it. It doesn't seem like it's going to end. Right. Maybe the first, I don't know. It's probably, I don't know, maybe like go walk around, like maybe I'll go to the city, Mm. New York city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's probably what I'll do since So my, I live on Long Island. I don't know if I said that at all. So I'm like close to the city, but also not close and basically in suburban hell. So, but I can take a train into the city. Maybe that too, take a train, which I don't want to do until the pandemic's over.
0: Nice. This is incredibly unprofessional of me as a podcast host, Um, but I'm going to leave it recording. I have to pee. Okay, very badly. And I probably won't cut this out of the episode. So I'm going to use the bathroom real quick. I'm going to leave this as a platform for you to just say whatever you feel you want to say for a minute or two. So wow. Yeah. Okay, welcome to what's up
1: with Scott. (laughs) Well, to anyone listening to this, I just want to apologize for how much of an idiot I've sounded uh, through most of it. But really uh, happy to talk with Danny. Yeah, yeah, filling dead air by yourself is not easy, especially when it's not your show. Um, I'm thinking about watching the movie Tenet tonight. Uh, If you're curious, on my reaction, you can always uh, DM me on Instagram. I think my name is Little Droner Boy. I, I don't think I've changed it since then. Fun fact, we were just talking about the songs Winter Wellness and Go, which were part of a winter EP that Secret Grief recorded. And it was in that moment that I changed my Instagram name to Little Droner Boy because we during that same session we recorded a uh a droney version of little drummer boy uh so i thought it was funny to call myself little droner boy um so drone in my username has to do with drone music and not uh drones like you know the missiles drones those are bad and uh We should probably stop giving so much money to the military to make more of them. Um, Yeah, Danny is peeing right now, as you probably remember him saying. Um, I'm doing my best to fill the air. And I thought about grabbing this book at my feet and reading a passage, but I don't think anyone wants
0: to hear that. And look at that. (laughs)
1: you made it through
0: yeah i this is gonna be this might be tmi but i'm gonna go for it anyway i was just with uh uh my well you might know caleb uh richards you know him yeah Yeah. yes and uh, caleb
1: richards is a uh extended member of secret grief he played in our 10 piece and he recorded cello on the upcoming ep so yes
0: nice uh i was we were having this weird discussion because we were in the middle of a conversation that I was really enjoying, so I didn't want to get up right away, but I really had to pee during it, and uh, I was like, we were talking a little bit about delayed gratification, and how, like, there's something for me where it's, like, I love, if I feel like I have to pee, I'll wait 45 minutes before I do it, and I, and there's something about it that I love, like, not just, like, that, oh, you have a full bladder, it's empty now, that's a cool feeling, or it's an interesting feeling, but, like, There's something about peeing for a really long time that I find hilarious. And so it's more for like my own benefit doing it now. Whereas it started out as like this like anxiety thing where I didn't wanna like get up and leave a conversation or something. Like I would put it off. And now I have this weird like humor about it or hilarity about it. And like an example I gave him was if I'm out at a bar or like a show or something, I, I love to count the amount of people that will come through and pee next to me at the urinal while I'm peeing. then the more people that come through, the more hilarious I think it is. And so I'll start to laugh or something while I'm peeing and it. It's just it's a it might be like a weird thing, but I it while I was peeing right then, I just thought about it again, thought I'd bring it up on the during the lightning round.
1: I don't have the hilarity aspect, but I do know the feeling of like peeing after holding it in for a long time is like top-notch
0: oh yeah it's the best um but yeah anyways I really loved uh when you said what's up with Scott that made me laugh a lot uh, as I was walking into the bathroom um okay lightning round back to it uh what do you think or what would you like people to get out of releasing those secret grief songs does it matter to you at all like what people think of them, or are you just excited to put them out into the world?
1: Going with the continuing theme that I started earlier, I I really don't care what people think about them. If people like them, it's a plus. If they help people in any way, it's a double plus. But again, you know, I guess there's the argument if that if that's my true view, then why release them at all? But I don't know. I, I guess I hope someone gets some joy from them, but that's about the extent of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also argue that releasing them sort of allows you to connect with certain people who you might be able to make cool music with in the future, mm-hmm. right? A, a, uh, a music A musical mating call of sorts. Nice. Because that's at this point in my life, collaborating is way more fun than just sort of sticking to whatever. Hmm. So I can be like, hey, look look at this release where we had like 14 different people play on it. You want to come do that on the next one? It'll be fun. Hmm. Yeah.
0: No, I like that. Yeah, I think, well, and just from the amount of musicians you probably know, it makes it more fun to work with these people that have a common interest and it does bring you a little bit closer as as friends and as uh musicians yeah
1: i actually just remembered one collaboration cam and i were going to do and it didn't happen and uh i i don't want to talk about what it was but it was at the time it was like well this is going to be sweet but uh I can tell you after if you want to know. I just don't okay. want this in the, in the world. Sure. Um, sheets or Wawa? Sheets, one hundred percent. Hell yeah. I uh... go ahead. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with which you have first, though. Like oh, yeah. I had sheets first, and you know, I'm 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 loyal. <laughs> but I I like Wawa too. I, I think Sheets is actually like. I mean, you can get fries on your sub at sheets. Like sheets, the way I would describe it is like gross but delicious food, whereas wawa is just like kind of delicious food. Right.
0: Yeah. I'm glad that you said sheets. Um, I have this like ever since going with you guys on those runs, I have this weird love for sheets now. And it's it there's no real reason for it. Um, but I yeah, I just I whenever I'm at a sheets or it, it becomes this big monumental moment in my life for some reason but I've never felt that at a wawa exactly I still feel that way so uh whenever I come home
1: I drive and so there's a bunch of sheets on the way so I'll always stop and even to this day like it'll it's like you said this just like magical experience have you ever heard the um Roswell kids sheet song oh no so yeah, they recorded it as just like a joke for April Fools and released it on like a flexi, which I regret not buying. But yeah, it's a Sheets like, I guess theme song, jingle. Yeah, that's what they call it.
0: It's a Sheets jingle.
1: Uh, I'll try and find it and send it to you. I sing it every time I show up. Nice to Sheets. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that sounds like something I would really enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna say that's probably. Oh no, I'll do one more because I thought of this before I thought of the sheets and Wawa and then that one came out first. Uh, what's your favorite city that you've, that music has brought you to? That's a tough one. (laughs) I mean, I guess it doesn't have to just be one city. It can be as many that come to mind. Well, I'm gonna look at it
1: this way. I mean, I'm not gonna look for the best city. I'm gonna look for the city that I had the best time at, surprisingly. Mm. And for me, that might be Rochester, New York. Okay. Mainly because it was unexpected. Mm. So I always think about this, which is weird and maybe shows what I prioritize in life. But the, before the first time we played in Rochester, we got, we were early, like very early, I guess, but not super early, I don't know. For some reason we were early and the venue wasn't open, but there was a bar next door and I got a grilled peanut butter and jelly and it was like life-changing in that moment. Mm-hmm. And we just played board games and I had a grilled peanut butter and jelly at this bar. Uh, so that was like a fun experience experience. Also the guy who booked the show and we played with was very wonderful and took us around. Um, and they have this, maybe the best guitar store in the country, at least the best one I've been to called house of guitars. Oh, okay. Huh. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I mean, what, I mean, I could say New York city, like Chicago, like everyone knows those cities are cool, mm-hmm. but um, Virginia beach was a nice time too. Did you ever go to Virginia beach with us? We had a lot of friends there. I think they had a venue
0: called yeah. that's how I beat Shaq. Yeah. Yep. That's um, when you say that, that sounds familiar. Like that I was, have gone yeah, to.
1: that was a lot of fun. I mean, Philly was great. We, we, We lucked out in meeting like the Drexel crew of Philly, which was like the modern baseball affiliates. Um, So we always had like a good time in Philly. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Um, Trying to think of anywhere else that was like life-changing. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with, I'll stick with my answer of Rochester, New York.
0: Okay. Nice. All right. Well, let's close out here. First, I'm going to ask you if there's anything you want to promote, like how can people listen to Secret Grief? Is there any personal projects you have going on that you would like people to be aware of, or even if it's not something you're involved in, something you want people to be aware of?
1: Sure. Well, Secret Grief is on, you know, the normal streaming sites and also Bandcamp which I think is just secretgrief.bandcamp.com. I started a SoundCloud that I was going to put weekly ambient tracks on, and I only lasted three or four weeks. Mm. But that is ghoul, 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 which is the word ghoul five times. Uh, It's a SoundCloud. There's some stuff there that's, I mean, it's whatever. It's usually like one take ambient stuff that I make on a, uh, synth I have and yeah there there should be new Seeker Grief music and maybe eventually new that John K. Sampson cover EP that I was talking about you know obviously I can plug Cam's new album which I'm like actually obsessed with I think it is so good um, I tell him this all the time I don't know if he believes me or if I'm just like bullshitting him, but I, I listen to it at least once every other day. Um, it sort of, it, it, it hits all the right sort of electronic music points that I want. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's about it. I mean, I post, I really don't post much anymore, but I used to post dumb little music clips on Instagram, which I plugged during what's up with Scott. But my username is Little Droner Boy, uh, and that, that's that's it, I guess. Uh, you can find me on Google Scholar if you're interested in my academic work, uh, but please don't do that. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's that's all I have.
0: Right on. Uh, so when I well, how we ended is I just kind of give the guest a moment to. Uh, reflect and sort of say something that you might need to hear in the future so if you ever decide to re-listen or you know go back and see this episode and listen to it something that you think you might need to hear or just some a piece of advice for yourself in the future so I'm giving advice to my future self yes oh
1: boy I guess I would just say um Take your time, don't rush, everything will work out.
0: Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Right on. That's I like simple. that. Sometimes people they I think they overthink it and then they go on this long. It's usually pretty good, but they go on this long uh sort of uh not I won't say rant. I can't think of a better word than rant, but rant just doesn't sound like a good word to use in this moment. Uh but yeah they they go on this long tangent and then i love how simple that was like like and precise like i really appreciate that um but yeah thank you for doing this this was yeah thanks Facebook. for
1: having me it was fun Hell yeah! i definitely uh had some memories that i had forgotten about so it was cool nice